Well, good morning. Good morning and, and welcome as we gather to, to worship, worship the Lord together. Now let's hear from the Lord as he says in Hebrews uh, chapter 8, verse eight, 10 to 12. This is what the Lord says. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors to say, know one another, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is the good news of the gospel, the Lord Jesus and what he has done for us, that he has made a new relationship for us, that we are a new people invited into the presence of God, that he has written his laws on our minds and on our hearts, that we would know him, love him, and obey him, that we would walk with him. Because wonderfully, the Lord, he knows us. And in Jesus, we know him intimately, that we can draw close to us, that we can draw close to him. Because the Lord... He remembers us. He remembers all of us, all the things that we do, and he knows us intimately. He remembers us, but there is one thing that he forgets, and that is our sins. As he says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is the good news, the good news that Jesus has come to forgive us of all that we've done through what he has done for us on the cross, that we can draw close to him, a holy God, and sing praises to him. We've just sung, uh, sung these words, who is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love. My debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. Because the Lord is faithful, holy, and just, uh, therefore he, he must uh, punish sin. And he must do that because he is a God of, of justice. But that punishment has rightly not fallen on us, but it has instead fallen on, on the Lord Jesus at the cross. And as the Lord is, is faithful, holy, and just, he reveals actually our own hearts that we are so often not like that. That we do not live holy lives that we ought to, and we don't act in right or just ways, but we act perhaps in convenience. And so let us just take a moment now to quiet our hearts, to come before him, uh, to say sorry, to confess our sins before him and receive forgiveness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who is holy, righteous, faithful and just. But Lord, in light of who you are, please forgive us in light of who we are often not. Forgive us for the moments this week when we have been distant from you. Forgive us for the moments that we have been overcome with anger, that we have not walked in purity, but instead daydreamed in dark and lustful ideas. Forgive us, Lord, when we have not been true to our word, when we have broken our promises or just lied. We have not sought to live with integrity. Forgive us, Lord, for tearing others down with our words rather than building them up. Forgive us for the things that are good that we have left undone. 
and seeking instead to live our own comfortable lives. And so we pray, Father, for these sins, that you would forgive us. And we are truly sorry, and we repent. But remembering your sacrifice on our behalf, we are thankful that our sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. That you, Lord, remember us, but in Jesus, you remember our sins no more. We give you thanks in his name. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are uh, the God of all grace and goodness, that everything comes from you. And we thank you, Lord, for the the goodness that you've shown to us in Jesus, uh, that you have forgiven us entirely, that we can come before you and praise you uh, for your goodness in forgiving us, that we might come into your holy presence and be transformed by you. And we thank you, Lord, for your amazing love for us, your compassion, your goodness, uh, which is totally undeserved, total act of your grace to us. And we give you thanks for that. I give you thanks, Lord, for, for Colin, for his uh, witness as a, a Christian leader in his school. We pray, Father, for, for your uh, spirit to strengthen him, empower him to, to walk with that integrity, to walk with that humility, uh, that he would walk as a, a leader, not, not hardened by criticism, but giving everything to you, knowing that he is right before you, he need not prove himself. And so we pray that you would give him a sense of your humility, uh, a spirit of humility. We pray that for ourselves, as he mentioned, as church leaders, that we would do that for all those in leadership, Father, that we would be humble people. We give you thanks, Lord, for, for James and Rachel as well. We, we praise you for their engagement, and we pray, Lord, for your blessing upon them, and that, Lord, that you would help them to grow closer in love with one another and in love with you. And would you bless them, we pray. We pray for this afternoon, Lord. We pray for the, the, the big church family at Fun Day at the Lord Williams Lower School. We pray, Father, for your blessing upon that, for all the families who are going to attend that. And we pray for those uh, teaching, those who are, who are part of it. Lord, would you bless that abundantly, we pray. We pray, Lord, for, uh, for Pauline, uh, Pauline Durant, in moving to uh, Corsham. And we pray for, for her in that, in that transition. Would you help her in all the things that need to be done there? We pray, Father, for those who are grieving at the moment, maybe those uh, from distant time who have uh, lost loved ones. We pray as well for those uh, recent days. Uh, we pray especially for, for David, for Deb, for Grace, and for Izzy Savage in the, the recent funeral of Dave's uh, mum, Sheila. Would you be close to them? Uh, would you be a comfort to them, we pray. We do pray for uh, all of our things this summer um, that were going on. Different people are doing different things. We pray, Father, for all the camps that are happening, for Christians in sport camps, for Cape and Ray, for camps in Wales. We do pray, Lord, for, for Keswick especially too, for many people going up, that that would be a, a real blessing to many, that they would be encouraged in that time. And we thank you, Lord, for the leaders who have dedicated uh, their time throughout the year in serving in ministries here at the church. We, we thank you, Lord, for the, the refreshing break that they'll have. And we pray, Father, for more people to, to step, step in to serve, to be a blessing to others, uh, that we would seek to serve one another in love. We give you thanks as well for the, the ministries here uh, which have been going on in the church. We thank you for the Friday Cafe, 
uh, for the way in which many people have connected to that, uh, built good relationships, and there's been great opportunities to share the love of Christ with others. We pray for your blessing upon that. And Lord, as we look further afield, we give you praise and thanks for your amazing provision. Uh, we think of the mangas and the, the work on the medical clinic. We thank you, Lord, for over, over £14,000 being raised for that. Such abundant generosity. And we thank you, Lord, that you give us glad hearts to give abundantly. We pray, the Father, that would be the case for us uh, each week as we seek to, to be generous in our offerings and our givings, that we would be a real joyful and generous people. And we pray, too, for uh, other missionaries, for Josh and Helen uh, in their time in Egypt in what is extreme heat. We pray for them, that they would persevere in that. And we pray for Helen in our pregnancy as well, that, that she would be able to to, to carry the little baby safely. We pray for their time in the UK as well, that it would be restful as they come back in, in August. We pray that that would be refreshing and that it would be fruitful as well. And thinking of countries which, <clears throat> which are dealing with extreme heat, we do pray for Greece and they deal with forest fires, for other countries undergoing extreme heat. We pray, Father, for, for people there that you would grant them mercy. I pray to, thinking of that, we pray for the people in Ukraine, uh, ongoing, the ongoing conflict there. We pray, Father, for a resolution, uh, for peace in that land. pray, Father, as we think of uh, leaders as well, we pray, Father, for uh, our nation's leaders, uh, that they would act with that humility, with integrity, and that they would be gospel people, uh, they would be transformed by the power of God in their lives. We pray, Father, for Christians in Parliament who have received the grace of God in Jesus, that they would be salt and light in a place which is extremely hostile. And we pray, Father, for, for your help in that. Help us to, to pray for our leaders, uh, to seek to, to honour them, <clears throat> and we pray that you would help us in our day-to-day -day lives in whatever area of leadership you've given us as well. We pray, Father, as we come to your word now, we pray for Helen as she reads it, that we would have open hearts to receive it. And for Neil as he preaches, Lord, would we be transformed by your word, that we wouldn't just be listeners, but that we would be doers of your word, putting it into action, applying it in our lives, and seeing the fruit of the Spirit grow in our hearts day by day. And so we pray for your blessing on all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. And now we're going to turn to our reading. Uh, Helen's going to take it from Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything 
except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Thanks, Helen. Good morning, everybody. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we recognise that life is not always easy or fair, but we thank you for your promise that whatever we're going through right now, that you are with us. And so we pray that you would bless us now as you speak to us and that you would encourage us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As uh, human beings, we all have a sense of fairness and justice. We instinctively know when someone we know, or ourselves even, is experiencing um, unfair treatment. Our hearts cry out for justice. Even as a young child, uh, if we're punished for something we didn't do, uh, that makes us angry. It's just unfair. And as we grow into adulthood, that demand for, for justice remains with us. If we're Christians, we believe that our, our sense of justice comes from the fact that we've been made in the image of God, a God who is a God of justice. He's perfectly just trouble is, of course, we live in a, in a fallen world in which the image of God in us has been marred. And so there is much injustice all around us. And we may have been or currently are the victims of such injustice. 
As Christians, we have been warned by Jesus who experienced the world's greatest injustice that if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. God has given us the truth in his word. But if we seek to live by that truth in a world that has rejected God and his truth, we will soon relate to faith, injustice, or false accusation. That may come from outside the church. That may sadly even come from within the church, as the Bible warns us. So what do we do in those situations? Well, hopefully this next episode in the, the life of Joseph will, will help us. I hope it will not only inspire us to, to hold firm to, to God's truth as we follow his commands, as we resist temptation, but I hope it will also encourage us that when we do face injustice or, or false accusation, that God is still there with us. He will never abandon us. When life seems unfair, God is still there. In case you weren't here last week, when we started our series in Joseph, we looked at chapter 37, which surprisingly makes no mention of God at all. And we saw a messy situation, family relationships that had been affected by sin. There was envy and bitterness on the part of Joseph's brothers, which led to to anger and hatred and a desire to kill him. In the end, they sold him to some slave traders and pretended to their father that he'd been killed by a wild animal. Although there was no mention of God in that chapter, we fast-forwarded to the end of the story, to chapter 50 of Genesis, where Joseph said this to his brothers. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Although we couldn't see God in chapter 37, he wasn't referred to. We were reassured that God was there and God does care. God works through simple situations to achieve his good purposes. Well, in the following chapter, which we're not going to look at this morning, but uh, just to let you know uh, what happens in that, we continue to see what life in a, a messed up world looks like. That's chapter 38. One of the brothers, Judah, leaves the family. Uh, and moves to a foreign nation where he ends up marrying a Canaanite woman. They have three sons. Uh, the first one marries a, a woman called Tamar. But we're told there that he was wicked in the Lord's sight and was put to death. Second son, likewise, was wicked and put to death. And so Judah promised his daughter in law, Tamar, that uh, she would be able to marry his third son, uh, who would um, raise up offspring. For his older brother. However, Judah fails to keep his promise to her. Uh, Tamar comes up with this dramatic plan to point that out to, uh, to Judah. Have a read of that when you get home. Um, but it's another example of a messy family. And yet, through that episode, in God's mercy, he brings Judah to repentance. And by the end of the chapter, he says, she is more righteous than I. And later on we'll see that it's actually through Judah's line that Jesus, the Messiah, comes. But we're going to focus on chapter 39 this morning, which picks up the story of Joseph, and which provides a great contrast to the story of Judah. Because Judah chooses to go to Canaan to allow himself to be led astray by the the immorality there. Whereas Joseph was taken to another country against his will, 
but refuses to adopt the immoral lifestyle of that country. He maintains his integrity, which God uses to eventually place him where he wants him to be. So chapter 39 starts with the news that Joseph has made it to Egypt. He's made it in one piece. And in verse 1, we're told Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now put yourself in Joseph's shoes here for a moment. So he's come from a family of, of shepherds, a rural community. And he's now been brought into the richest and most powerful country in the world at that time. Imagine entering the city, seeing the, the, the size of the pyramids for the first time, seeing Egyptian temples all around. And then he's sold into slavery, like a commodity, which is sadly the experience of many people, even still today, treated like slaves who can be bought and sold. It's very easy for Joseph to think, well, I'm on my own now. I've been abandoned in in a country where I feel totally out of my depth. Where is God? Where is he now? But if chapter 37 was noticeable or for any absence of reference to God, well, 39 is full of that. It makes up for it. Because what we see here clearly is that God has not abandoned him. And actually the Lord was with Joseph and blessed him. Verse 2, it says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Verse 3 says, the Lord was with him and gave him success in everything he did. For the Lord to be with Joseph doesn't just mean that he he was there. After all, we're told that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. Do not I fill heaven and earth, God says in Jeremiah. No, for God... For us to know God is with us is to know his blessing, to know his sovereign control over our lives. And one of the main themes of the book of Genesis is the promise of God to bless Abraham and his descendants and through them the nations of the world. In chapter 26, God says to Abraham, I'm the God, or to Isaac, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid. For I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. He repeats that promise to to Jacob, Joseph's father, in chapter 28. And he says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. So how does God bless Joseph? Remember God's goal, his plan. He's going to take this family to Egypt, where he's going to allow them to prosper and multiply, and then he will rescue them and take them into the promised land. And for that to happen, he has to get this family to Egypt. So the first step in that process is to to get Joseph into the home of an influential Egyptian official, namely Potiphar. Joseph could have been bought by, by anyone in Egypt, but under God's sovereign control, he ends up being bought by Potiphar. And it isn't long before he makes an impression on his, his new master and is given a lot of responsibility. For Potiphar to put a new foreign slave who he knows nothing about in charge of his household and everything he owns is a huge gamble. 
But the reason we're told he did that is it says in verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Now, Potiphar didn't even know this God that Joseph worshipped. But clearly, Joseph had not been quiet about his own God. He'd been able to be a faithful witness uh, to his boss through his hard work and integrity. And I wonder when you go maybe into school, maybe you go into the workplace, you may feel that you are the only Christian there. Maybe you are the only Christian there, literally. You may feel that is not really the place you want to really be talking about your faith. It can only get you into trouble. But if people see the way you, you work and behave, then they will be more willing to listen to you talk about what you actually believe. So pray for opportunities to speak about your faith, but pray also that God will make your witness effective through your conduct, through the way you work in that environment. As the Scottish uh, Baptist minister Alexander McLaren once said, the best advertisement of Christianity is a good life. People read us a great deal more than they read the Bible. It was Potiphar who promoted Joseph, put him in charge of his household. But as we're told here, it was the Lord who gave him success in everything he did. If if we belong to God, he's with us, he blesses us. But that doesn't mean life will be easy. It doesn't mean God's plans for us will be straightforward, as we will see. But first we read how Joseph refused to give in to temptation. Joseph is described here as being well-built and handsome. In other words, he was good-looking. He had a good physique, a modern lingo. He was, he was ripped. He had looks that he had inherited from his beautiful mother, Rachel. Now, many of us who may be not quite so well-endowed may be quite envious of him. But, of course, bringing sexually attractive brings with it some challenges, doesn't it? Namely, that he becomes the object of attention of his master's wife. She doesn't hide her her lust for him and says quite directly, come to bed with me. As we said a couple of weeks ago, sex is something which has been designed by God, but to be enjoyed in its right place within the commitment of marriage in which the bodily union of the couple strengthens the union of their hearts and their lives. However, sex is another aspect that has been affected by the fall. It's often no longer about sharing lives, but of simply satisfying one's own sexual urges. Men will exploit women's vulnerability through their physical strength or position of power, which is what the last chapter is about. And women will manipulate men through their seductive powers, which is what is going on here. So how does Joseph respond? Well, there are many ways in which he could have justified giving in to temptation. He could have said as a man, well, I just did what my body was telling me to do. It was a natural human urge. As a slave, he could have said, well, I had no choice. She was a powerful and influential woman, would have made life very difficult for me if I had not given her what she wanted. 
He's tempted to give in to his sexual urges. And yet, despite the persistence of Potiphar's wife, we're told in verse 8, he refused. And as we all know, resisting temptation in whatever form it takes is hard. So how can Joseph's example in this passage help us in our ongoing fight against temptation? Whatever temptation it might be that we struggle with and that we're different for each one of us. Well, firstly, by thinking about the impact of our sin on others. In verse 8, Joseph says to Potiphar's wife, With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. He's saying, how could I possibly betray the trust that my master has placed in me? He's entrusted everything he owns to me except you. And we can resist temptation when we think about the impact our sin may have on the lives of others. If you take adultery, for example, just think how many people are impacted by that. If both parties are already already married, there are their spouses, there may be children, the wider family, friends, the community. The ripples just keep spreading. But even other sins like gossip or slander, which we may think are harmless, again can have a devastating impact on innocent people. The other thing Joseph thinks about is the impact of our sin on God. He continues, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? When we sin, we don't just cause offense to another person or persons, we sin against God himself. And God tells us how we should behave in his word. And one of the ways we can justify our sin is by saying, well, I prayed about it and uh, I, I had peace. You can't have genuine peace when you behave in a way that's directly contradictory to what God says in his word. It's not God's peace we're experiencing in that situation. We've allowed the devil to make us feel okay about our sin. Our attitude to sin depends on our attitude towards God. If we think of God as this abstract being somewhere, then sin's not really a big issue. But when we know him as our heavenly father, who's full of goodness and kindness and compassion towards us, then we would rather do anything than dishonor him. Temptation is a powerful tool in the hands of the devil. But it's only when we resist temptation that we become aware of its full power. Because if we resist it, the devil will try again and again to tempt us. It's like a form of torture. If the person being tortured doesn't give in, he would just keep on going at us. So when we read about Jesus in Hebrews as one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. What that means is that Jesus was tempted more than anyone else because he never gave in. The devil had to keep using all his resources against him until he eventually gave up. Resisting temptation also requires wisdom, as Joseph shows in this situation. Because when we're aware of a situation in which we will face temptation, the best approach 
is to avoid it. Verse 10 says, And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. He took himself out of her presence to avoid falling into temptation. Now you might be thinking at this point, well that's great that Joseph was able to resist temptation, but that actually makes me feel even worse because I'm just not that strong. I keep failing. Maybe I should just give up. Well at some point we have all given into temptation in different forms of it and will continue to do so. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to rescue us from our sin. We don't need to try and justify our sin. As it says in 1 John, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If, on the other hand, we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There is nothing that we have done that he is not able to forgive. And that is because Jesus took the punishment for every sin that we have committed or will ever commit when he died on the cross in our place. Well, let's pray for God's help to resist temptation. The hard thing is that even if we do successfully resist temptation, it doesn't entitle us to an easy life, as Joseph was about to find out. Because Joseph is falsely accused and unfairly imprisoned. Have a look at verse 11. One day, Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She, Potiphar's wife, caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Having tried seduction and failed Potiphar's wife tries a more direct approach and pulls Joseph towards her. At which Joseph again does the wise wise thing and runs. He flees temptation. He gets out of there. Trouble is, he's left his cloak behind and Potiphar's wife has been left to look foolish. She realizes that she's not going to get her way with Joseph and so instead turns to revenge. And accuses Joseph of attacking her. First she calls the other servants and tries to get them on side by uh, talking about this Hebrew, this foreigner. Who's been brought to us to make sport of us. She's identifying with them. She has to lie about screaming. She wants to clear herself of any suspicion. And uses the cloak as evidence. When her husband comes home she repeats the story. Again accusing that Hebrew slave You brought us. Sounds like Eden all over again, doesn't it? Remember when Adam blames God for the woman you put here with me? It's that natural human tendency to shift the blame. Or having heard his wife's story, Potiphar is furious. And without hearing Joseph's side of things, he throws him into prison. And you can imagine what Joseph is thinking now, don't you? After all I did to resist temptation, after all I did to honour my master and honour God, this is the reward I get. And I wonder if you ever feel like that. After all I've done for God, what do I get in return? 
I've resisted temptation. I have served faithfully in the church. I've given generously. I've, I've witnessed to my friends and colleagues. And yet, I still maybe haven't got the husband or wife I've been praying for. Maybe I still haven't got the promotion at work that uh, I deserve. My family, my spouse, my children are still not professing faith in Jesus Christ. I still can't get over this illness. Or worse, I've been falsely accused of something I didn't do. I've been unfairly criticized and no one understands me. No one will listen to me. And maybe you're left thinking, well, where is God? As Christians, we should say for the first point, if we are Christians here this morning, we're neither guaranteed earthly blessings, nor are we guaranteed justice in this life. But we are promised it in the life to come. We are promised a a wonderful reward in heaven. And also don't forget that when we are persecuted, when we are false accused in this life, we're not on our own. When life is unfair, God is still there. Joseph is falsely accused. He's unfairly imprisoned, but the Lord was still with him and showed him kindness. Verse 20 says, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. Joseph doesn't prevent, God doesn't prevent Joseph from going to prison. He doesn't remove him from prison at this stage. If he did, his greater purpose is the saving of many lives would not be possible. But he is there with him. And we're told he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. What did that kindness look like? Well, verse 22 says the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. And although it was the prison warder who who put Joseph in charge, it was God who was behind all of that. It was him, it says here, who granted Joseph favor in the eyes of the prison warder. Why did the prison warder trust Joseph? Well, it's the same reason why Potiphar trusted him, him earlier. Do you remember? Read these words, 20, 23. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. He could see God at work in Jesus' life. Even when we experience injustice, false accusation, it is possible to know God's presence with us, to see him at work in our lives, and to receive a deeper joy and peace as a result. As we finish, Joseph was willing to undergo false accusation and unjust suffering rather than dishonor God. He would rather go through pain with the presence and blessing of God than continue in earthly comfort without the presence and blessing of God. And that is the promise of Jesus that we too can enjoy. Let me leave you with these words to reflect on. As Jesus said to his disciples, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, 
and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your promise to be with us. You know the situations in our lives, you know what is going on in our hearts. You know where we are struggling with something that appears to be unfair. We pray that you would make your presence known more powerfully to us. We pray that you would bless us. We pray you would give us the strength to resist temptation and the desire to walk in step with the Spirit. That all we do would be pleasing and honouring to you. We pray that we would keep our eyes focused on Jesus and help us to rejoice and be glad because great is our reward in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have a time for personal reflection in a minute, but before we do that, we're going to, to sing together. It's a song called The Night Song. Let me read one of the verses to you. All this day your hand has held me, God of heaven, by my side. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. You will hold me through the night. That brings us to the close of our service. Um, If you would like to to pray about anything at all, there's a prayer ministry just in the corner there. There'll be people wearing red lanyards. Please do pray into anything that you've heard uh, this morning. Uh, This evening, uh, Sarah will be leading us uh, through a letter to the Philippians. So please do come along this evening at at 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, After the service here, we've got uh, refreshments. We've got cake today uh, to celebrate uh, the 30th wedding anniversary of Rob and Jackie. So, round of applause. And thank you for the cake. (laughs) Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you, uh, Lord, that you are with us in all things, that you are the God who helps us in the darkness, that you are the God who helps us in our temptations. Lord, would we run to you in everything? Would you help us to rely on you in all things, that we would walk for you, live for you, for your glory and for our good? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.